Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Hutton and Withrow with you. Chad, Nate Oates has talked again. It's fine. I'm glad that he continues to discuss what's going on at Alabama with Brandon Miller playing. And, you know, they'll play again tomorrow. We'll see uh, Tennessee now get South Carolina, right? Yep. And Alabama Alabama's at home Arkansas. against Arkansas. Yeah, they're yeah. home. So. Arkansas is hot. So, you know, the decision to continue to play Brandon Miller. Nate Oates on Tuesday said that they had already knew he knew the details. He knew about Brandon Miller's involvement. Uh, he insinuated that anyway. Whenever he answered a quick question coming off the court after a practice about this this entire week and all the details that have come out from the preliminary hearing. But he continues to say that Alabama has handled this the right way. He deferred to his athletic director, um, Greg Byrne, who admitted yesterday, or excuse me, two days ago, he didn't know about the details of the text message where it said to bring the gun to the scene. I don't know how, if you're the AD, you don't know that detail if the head coach is saying he did. I don't think that... And now the head coach I, I, is, is, is pointing back to the comments know, from Greg Byrne. I don't know exactly because we'd have to go back and hear the question exactly. Um, he's so dismissive and handles it so poorly when the question is asked that it's, we knew about all this, you know, I can't, we can't be with them after practice and after games and guys yeah. go out. And so I don't know that they got specific into the text. I think he, what he's saying is, I knew that he was out that night with them. And that he brought, you know, he came wrong back place, to the scene in the car. That's what he's saying, wrong place, wrong time. Do I know for sure that he was saying he knew about the text message? No, he didn't I'm not, say that. I don't know. He didn't directly say that. I don't know about that. But he was asked directly about the, what happened from the account of law enforcement at the preliminary hearing. And he said, yeah, we knew about all this. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But I don't, if you didn't know that detail and it came out, I don't know how you go from Tuesday to then Wednesday playing him. Because they're arguing that he didn't see it. That he just didn't read it and didn't know a gun was in the car because they're going by what Brandon Miller's legal defense is. Brandon so, Miller's legal defense is he dropped these guys off, had nothing to do with them, went out to eat, line was too long, didn't want to go inside with them, yep. got a text at 12.30 to come back and pick him up, left an hour later, went back, not really a lot of mention about whether he saw the text or not, but that the gun was hidden in the back seat, didn't know about it, showed up, they went in there and got it, he fled the scene the moment it happened. That, that's a good defense. But the, That's a good legal defense that I would craft if I were the defense attorney, right? Well, if the text came through at like 1.30ish, 1.30 to 2 a.m. is when the text went through. So here from, from AL.com, here is their reset of the testimony. It's brief, but it's more detailed than what we were... Uh, knowing and seeing through tweets. 
So Miller drops off Miles at 1225 Sports Bar, but he didn't stay because the line was too long. Harris, who died, who was murdered, her boyfriend, Cedric Johnson, and her first cousin, Asia Humphrey, were also at the club, but they left and stopped at a nearby grill to get something to eat. It was then that they encountered Davis, who was dancing in front of Harris's Jeep, the girl's Jeep. Johnson, her boyfriend, told Davis that his girlfriend was not interested and to move along. Culpepper, who is law enforcement, on the stand, says that Davis then said, quote, you don't know who I am and what I do. Miles and Davis walked away from the victim's Jeep, but later returned. Culpepper said Miles texted Miller in the early morning hours saying, quote, I need my joint, which is slang for a gun, police said. Miles and Davis walked to Miller's car and got something, believed to be the gun, out of the back seat, according to testimony. Miles told Davis, the heat is in the hat. The statement, he said, meant the gun was present. Miles added, there's one in the head. That, Culpepper said, meant a round was in the chamber. Miles moved his girlfriend back to get her out of the line of fire. Moments later, Culpepper testified, Davis approached the victim's car and said, I told you I was going to get you, and then began firing through the driver's side window of the Jeep. He fired at least eight shots, some of them while running in an arc from the driver's side around to the back of the vehicle. Johnson, the victim's boyfriend, returned fire, striking Davis in the shoulder. Harris was fatally struck on the left side of her face. She dies. And meanwhile, you have Brandon Miller, who brought the weapon to the scene by request of Miles, of Darius Miles, brought the weapon to the scene and then stayed there because we know of at least two bullets that hit his windshield. And, yeah. But yet... Well, he fled the scene, I'm guessing, on foot. They said he fled when gunshots happened. That's what his attorney's saying. Yes, but, but we do know that if he didn't block in anyone, he was blocked in by people blocking in. Yeah, the, the, the attorney's statement says he didn't block anyone in. The Jeep pulled in behind him. Right. That, that was shot up, was, was their claim. Again, I, I don't know how you, you hear the details of this. And don't suspend and then, them, but not at just, the very least. Not just don't suspend them. They're doubling down and saying, we as a university have handled this the correct way. Meanwhile, it's an international story now. The Guardian is now digging on this. And you know, Clay put out the tweet this morning saying, like, we are, we've reached the level where an SEC decision has become an international story. And he couldn't come up with another storyline that would vouch for this, this example. Chad, I, after all that, you have Nate Oates saying, yeah, Alabama's handling it the right way. Yeah, I mean, look, Alabama basketball is now the poster child for everything that's wrong with priorities in sport across the world. And now that it's an international story, that, that's really the bottom line of this. If you believe everything that the defense attorney said, which I don't, most people wouldn't. It's a legal defense for a reason for him. Even if you believe everything, I still think he should be kicked off the team for simply having been the person that transported the murder weapon to a murder scene where a young woman was killed. Whether he claims he knew about it or not, he's not going to be on my basketball team if I'm a part of that. He's not going to be at my university if I'm in charge of university. It's over from that respect. He can go get ready for the NBA draft at that point. Instead... 
Alabama and Nate Oates has taken the approach of sounding tone deaf throughout, not suspending him for a single half of basketball, much less a game, much less removing him for the rest of the season. And they are completely dug in now, and in doing so, they are the poster child for warp priority in sport, in American sport. This is what other countries now will say about this story and about America. And we have an SEC school saying that, yeah, we've handled it the right way. I don't, I don't see how, I mean, it's not funny, but I, I, I sit here and just smirk because I, they're literally thinking they're just going to tell everyone, yeah, we're doing this. You guys are wrong with your stance on it. You're anti-Bama. No. Someone was murdered. This is a, I mean, we see charges filed. Two defendants in court for the preliminary hearing now going in front of a grand jury. Bond is denied. And the guy that dropped him off, it also came back at the request of one of those involved in the capital murder charges, Darius Miles, brought the weapon back to the scene. I don't care who it is. Doesn't have to have, you don't have to have criminal charges involved with that. There need to, in any walk of life, there are, there are consequences for poor decisions. It doesn't have to be a crime to be a poor decision. And that's exactly what this is. And instead, they're pointing to, well, law enforcement says that, you know, it's just wrong place, wrong time. They're not saying that. Law enforcement, doesn't say, they're just saying there's nothing they can charge him with. There's more to it than just wrong place, wrong time. Of course. The only person in the wrong place at the wrong time was the victim. It was Harris. In all of yeah. this. And look, I, I don't... If I... Put yourself in this situation, right? If you were the one that was hanging out with someone who later in the night killed someone, and you were the one right. who came back to get them, whatever your defense is, but they got into your vehicle and pulled the weapon out that eventually murdered someone, your first thought is, I'm really screwed. This is not going to end well. The sum I got in the back and forth with the Alabama fan last night. Would you expect to lose your job? And I said, at the very least, I'd expect to be suspended from my job, regardless of what my legal defense was, if something like this happens. People have gone to jail for less yeah. in this country. So separate of whether or not he should be charged or go to jail or Alabama fans wanting to believe everything the defense attorney is saying – Let's just use our heads here and take a deep breath and ask yourself this question. If the Guardian and international outlets are now covering this as what in the hell is wrong with American sports and priorities because a young woman was murdered and someone in connection with that murder that brought the murder weapon to the scene is the star player that has faced no consequences, none, not charged anything by the legal system, has played every second that he's been he's wanted to play, just scored 41 points in a win for his team. What is wrong with American sports? What is wrong with our priorities? They're the poster child for what's wrong right now. Watching coverage the other night, they're saying this is putting a stain on all of college basketball this season. That's how big this story has become. Alabama basketball will forever be linked to this, not because it happened but because of how they handle it. The response, yeah. It's because of their poor response to it. Nate Oates will never escape this. That program will never, ever escape the shadow because of how poorly the university, this will follow Greg Byrne around, this will follow Alabama basketball around, it will follow Nate Oates around for the rest of their careers. 
That's how bad it is. That's how bad the response is. Again, I'm not just going to say things happen when a player murders someone or is a part of it. It's, it's pretty rare. But Nate Oates is right. We can't control what happens, everything they do away from us, right? He's right in saying that. Here's what you can control, Nate. Your response to it, which should be anyone who was there that night, is gone. We are separating ourselves from this story. We are separating ourselves from this murder completely. And what they're That's saying the is, first response. They're saying, oh, we didn't know about the details of the text message. Okay, but you, the, the decision-making process on January 15th to now, this week, was made without that detail. But here we are knowing that, and they continue to double down on how they've handled it. So it doesn't matter if they knew about the text message or not. They're saying they would play him anyway. But everyone's caught up in the, oh, they didn't know about that. They're playing him anyway. Which tells me if they knew about the detail, which, I mean, come on. Like, you think they didn't know that? The players involved here? If they knew about the detail, they would have played him anyway. Because they're playing him now. Right? Uh, of course. That's the, that's the bit of info that they're leaning on. That they, oh, we didn't know about this. Okay, so respond to it now. If you didn't know about it. I don't know how you look at that, knowing you received the text, saying bring it back. And he did. And you still double down on how you handled it. If this was a player who wasn't a starter or wasn't a big contributor to the team, it would have been the easiest decision in the world to separate them from the program. Chad, the, but they didn't because Brandon Miller is maybe the best player in the country. Yeah. Uh, the co-host of the Felger and Maz show, Tony Maserati, uh, radio show out of Boston. Speaking of stupidity. Yes. Uh, he's issued a, an emotional apology after making what he called hurtful comments about two black people. So last week, during an episode of the show, Maserati asked his remote co-host, Michael Felger, Maserati's on Zoom, I believe, or something like that, about the people sitting behind him. And here's what he said live on air. Yeah, I want to know now who the two guys behind you are. That's what I want. Okay. Because if I were you... I'll be off in two minutes. I'm just doing... I got just... If, if I'm too loud, just let me know. Honestly. <laughs> no, they can't... Two more minutes. They can't hear us, right? No, not you. Okay, no. So I would be careful if I were you because the last time you were on a couple of guys like that, they stole your car. Here's Chris in Boston. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, I want to talk about... So they continue to laugh there on the video. I mean, stupid. I get... This is this is the problem with this. First off, really, really dumb and just a very insensitive and dumb thing to say. Uh, two, if you're fed up like I am a lot of times for uh, the race card being played at all times right. and for all reasons and that if something doesn't go someone's way or something happens, it's because it's racist. You know, if uh, if Eric Bieniemy doesn't get a head coaching job, it's because it's racism in the league and that whole thing gets tired. Blame this. Blame these guys. Right. That's why this exists, because there are people this stupid that get paid to talk into a mic for a living or that are on camera that say something that's really racist like this. And when this happens, this is why people come back and say, well, you see, it's racism. Racism is to blame for this. It's a racist country. This is what happens because of idiots like this. What ended up happening? Is he suspended? He suspended sensitivity training. He and his co-host are in sensitivity. Yeah, they're in training. Yeah, and then he gave this emotional apology. We have to clean up something from Friday. We had a bad moment on Friday afternoon, and so we just want to clean up that little bit of business. And so, Maz, the floor is yours. Okay. So, as you said, late 
<clears throat> late in the show on Friday, I made some comments that angered and upset some people, and rightfully so. So uh, I wish I could take them back. I can't. They were uh, insensitive. They were hurtful. And frankly, they hurt the cause for those of us who believe in racial and social equality and all of those things. And I do. I'm on that side of the line, which is what made this thing so difficult in so many different ways. So I owe everyone an apology. It's not who I am. It's not who we are. I can tell you that until I'm blue in the face. Those of you who know me will believe it. Those of you who don't, won't, and you probably shouldn't. If I saw and heard what you did, uh, I'd feel the same way. And you have a right to be upset. The, the only thing I can really do is apologize for it. Um, again, you know, there is, when we're talking about these sorts of issues, there is a line somewhere, and I can assure you I stand on the right side of it. But you again, that doesn't excuse what I said or did on Friday. It was really, I meant, if anyone cares, to poke fun at you, Mike. Uh, it didn't come off that way. It came off as something far broader and uh, ignorant. And uh, I'm regretful of that. I don't know what more I can say other than I'm sorry to you and to Murray for dragging you into it. Oh, please. For Jimmy Stewart, for the people here at the station, let alone friends and colleagues in the business who are dealing with it on assorted different levels. So, um, again, all I can tell you is it's not who I am. And I was got a little silly and stupid at the end of the show. I was trying to be a wise ass like I often am. And it just came out wrong. And I wish I could give you a better answer than that because we're in a business where we should be careful about what we say and how we say it. And uh, and I wasn't. Belger and Mass show there with Tony Maserati with uh, the apology. I can't take any apology, however heartfelt that may have been, seriously. When you sound like Casey Affleck in the Dunkin' Donuts sketch on SNL oh. the whole time. Because all I keep hearing is socks. <laughs> no, ma. The whole time he's Back talking, all I hear is the accent. As he's trying to and be They have a good show, by the way. Uh, highly rated on the sports hub there. But, man, that's... Yes. Be careful about what you say, but also, like... Just don't be so stupid. Stupid. Exactly. Hit us up with your I thoughts. Don't know, I don't know how anyone would think, like, you know, I'm going to take uh, someone's race behind there... Can they hear what you're and saying? And say, the no. last time you were around guys like that, your car... What you, your car broke, was stolen. Car was stolen or something else. I'm thinking, like, what... Yeah. What year is this? Exactly. I mean, look, Boston doesn't exactly have the best reputation when it comes to race relations. Uh, people want to poke fun at the South, and rightfully so, for a lot of the history here where we do this mm -hmm. show. But Boston's got, for a, a, a northeastern city, has just as bad of a, a past as many others. And uh, it really came out in that statement by him. Just really, really dumb. We'll head up north when we come back. Mark Canizaro is, is going to join us. New York Post beat writer for the Jets. Also covers the PGA Tour. We'll dive into both next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, 
your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Chad, you were telling me, how long did it take you to watch Full Swing on Netflix, the docuseries on the PGA Tour and live? Three or four days, which is very rare that I watch, you know, eight episodes of anything in yeah. that short amount of time. But I was hooked. Binge. I was hooked. Binge. Mark Canizero joins us. New York Post covers the PGA Tour and much more, plus the New York Jets. We'll hit them both. Mark, uh, have you seen it all? All eight episodes so far? Yeah, Chad, actually, interestingly enough, I just finished the last episode earlier today. Uh, I, I hadn't watched it, and I, I did the same thing Jonathan did. I binged it the last couple of days because I had a little bit of time off, and I was just kind of curious. I'd heard a lot about it. Um, I thought it was pretty good in some spots. I mean, there was some repetitive spots in there, but uh, you know, I thought that their focus was a little little narrow. You know, It only focused on a handful of guys on the tour. I thought it would be a little bit more wide-reaching. Yeah, it was definitely a theme of a player or two each episode, and that was it. Um, yeah. I don't know if you agree. I love the Joel Damon episode because it's a guy you don't normally know much about, and his personality is so different from everyone else. To me, that's the real potential for a show like this is to expose the world to tour players that normally you wouldn't be following on a Saturday or Sunday at a tournament. I totally agree with you. And, you know, Joel's story is awesome. Uh, you know, I mean, what he, what he's gone through, you know, with his losing his mother cancer and, 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 and surviving cancer himself. And he's also one of the real cool personalities on the tour that unless you're kind of around the tour, you know, a decent amount, you know, like I am, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be, you don't really know that, you know, cause you, as you said, there, these guys aren't on, on TV, on the TV screen or, you know, Rory and, Justin Thomas and DJ or whatever on down the line. So I thought that episode was pretty cool. I, you know, I, I've written about Tony Finau a number of times earlier in his career and his story is fantastic. And, uh, you know, so those are, and obviously he's more of an up and coming rising star than Joel, but Joel, and I think Joel, the story between Joel and his caddy are, are very, is a very cool element to, to what they did. They really captured that very well. I know this is kind of a, a basic question, but, in the docu-series, you definitely see media interaction with different tour players and mostly with the two or three people that are uh, you know, on the docu-series being interviewed. But what's it like covering the tour from a media perspective in terms of access and being able to approach certain guys you know, when they're coming out of the clubhouse 
or going into the clubhouse. What what's that experience like from your standpoint? You know, Jonathan, from my I covered I've covered all sports. I cover a ton of football. I'm a columnist at the New York Post, and I you know I've been covered. I was the Jet beat writer for 17 years. Now I I kind of do the Jets and Giants and the league. I've covered pretty much every sport there is. What I like about golf is access wise, you can kind of dictate it on your own because there aren't finite locker room periods, for example, in football, you know, and, you know, or clubhouse, you know, time in baseball, uh, you know, you, it's really up to you to forge the relationships with the players and the caddies and the, the officials out there on the tour. And, you know, if once you've gained their trust, you know, you know, you can build a relationship there and, and you can have pretty much as much access as you want. So I, I, that's what I like about golf the best. And, and much like you just kind of referred to guys, there's so many kind of untold stories out there like Joel Damon and, and many, many more that, you know, of players you've never heard of before that I love unearthing, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and telling because listen, I mean, there's not much you, anybody doesn't know about Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, right? And, and uh, you know, just to name a couple of the superstars, Phil Mickelson, you know. But there are a lot of really cool stories out there that, that aren't haven't been told. And, and those are the fun things that I like to kind of delve into when I'm out on tour. Mark Canizero, our guest on Outkick 360. So we, we learned this week that the majors will allow the live tour professionals to compete this year. What does that mean for the Ryder Cup moving forward? Could we see players from both tours playing and competing? Well, that is the $64,000 question right now. Uh, I, I, the major thing does not surprise me whatsoever. These, these are separate business entities, the Masters, you know, the U.S. Open, the, you know, the, the, the Open Championship, and the PGA Championship. These are all business separate you know, ventures, and these all four of these – want the best players in the world competing against each other. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called major championships, in my opinion. So the fact that they have all kind of fallen in line and, quote, unquote, allowed the live guys to play is no surprise at all to me. Now, as time goes on, depending on what happens to the world rankings situation, which right now live players don't get any world rankings, a lot of these top players that are playing live, you know, Patrick Reed and DeChambeau and all these guys, Kepka, Kepka their, their world rankings are plummeting. So if you're, unless you are a guy like a Mickelson or a Kepka or a DJ that are, is a past champion, for example, you know, in a couple of the cases, you know, master champion, they can always go back and play the masters. At some point, though, they will not if they don't get world ranking points, they will not be allowed. They, they won't they won't meet the criteria to get into the major championships. So the Ryder Cup is fascinating because, you know, the, you know, the PGA of America, which runs the Ryder Cup is very, very much Seth Waugh, who's who's the, you know, the major domo, you know, with the PGA of America very, very much in line with Jay Monahan, the PGA Tours commissioner. So I, I right now, I mean, listen, all you got to do is look at the fact that, that Henrik Stenson, who was supposed to be the, the European captain this coming September, was immediately blackballed and banned as soon as he went to live. So the European Tour kind of spoke right away on that. Uh, where that's going to go in terms of the players, I don't know. But it, to me, it's hard to imagine that that they're after what they did to Stenson, that they're going to allow – the players, to, you know, the live players to play uh, on, on the Ryder Cup, which I think will be a damn shame. Mark, what did last week at Riviera tell you about Tiger Woods? You know, I don't know that it told me. It told me that he was a little bit better golf golf shape, so to speak, than I thought he would be. Uh, truth be told, uh, uh, full disclosure, I, I always almost always cover Genesis, 
I didn't think he was going to play. And, you know, I, I really kind of, that was my own fault, you know, because I, I was in Bahamas where he withdrew with plantar fasciitis. That's, that's fair, by the way. Yeah. And he, yeah, he was really limping. You know, he was really gimping around. And I thought he was really, really going to take it easy and just try to ramp up for the Masters. So I didn't think he was going to play. And I actually scheduled a short little get getaway with my wife after the, after a long week of the Super Bowl coverage and didn't cover Genesis. And, of course, he committed during the week of the Super Bowl, which, you know, I don't know if you guys are married or not, but but wives in general don't like plans changed. So I, <laughs> I stuck with the vacation plans. But I watched it, and uh, and quite frankly, he 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 looked pretty damn good. I thought his swing speed was really good. Uh, he didn't look like he was he was gimping around as much as he was uh, back in in December. Uh, but at the at the bottom line, at the bigger picture of it, you know, he is going to play exactly what it says he's going to play. He's going to try to play all four majors and and mix in a couple of other tournaments. He'll you know he'll always try to play his hero event down in the Bahamas. You know, obviously, you know, this Genesis tournament is, you know, is run by his foundation. So he was going to be there anyway. Um, but I thought he played better than I would have expected him to have played when I heard that he had committed. Uh, at the end of the day, though, he still finished T45, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I am not convinced he can win again, not just a major, but anywhere, because I just think the four days are just too grueling for for his body. I know in his mind, he still believes he can win, which is the beauty of Tiger. Uh, he's never turned up at a tournament that he doesn't think he's going to win. So, uh, but yeah, I'm fascinated to see if he sneaks one more tournament in uh, before Augusta. Um, you know, you know, will he do the Players Championship in a couple weeks? I don't know. That might be a little much to ask. I, you know, I'm actually heading down to Florida in a couple of days to do Bay Hill, which he also usually plays, and the Players Championship. I wonder if he tries to play one of those before Augusta. That would be interesting to see what happens there. You know, we're definitely in the, the downslope of Tiger. He's going to play majors and some select tournaments here and there. And I'm watching full swing the entire series and thinking about what, what's the shape of golf from a superstar standpoint when he's gone. Where do you think golf is when, when Tiger's eventually completely done playing from who's left and that superstar ability of the sport to really transcend and hit new levels? You know, there really are no superstars out there. I mean, you know, people throw that word around a lot, but Scotty Scheffler, number one in the world, you know, he's not a superstar. He's not that kind of personality. And uh, he's an amazingly good player who's been on an absolute, you know, heater of a run in the last year and a half or so. You know, John Rahm has got, he's got a good, strong personality, but he's not, he's not somebody that I look at as superstar type. You know, Rory is probably the closest to that. Um, you know, Mickelson is obviously past his prime and, and now he's, you know, he's, he was a superstar, certainly it still is, but he's not competing for victories. And obviously he's kind of, you know, he's, uh, he's playing live now, which keeps him a little bit out of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, but I do still think the game is healthy because there are so, it's so deep with so many good players and there are good compelling stories out there, but they're just, I don't see anybody out there who's going to go on some sort of crazy dominant run and nor have I seen anybody. Um, I mean, look at what Kepka did a couple a couple years ago. It looked like Kepka was never going to lose a golf tournament again, right? When you during that stretch, then he had some physical injuries, you know, issues, and uh, you know, Dustin Johnson was like that for a stretch for a stretch, and then he kind of fell off. Rom right now and Scotty Scheffler are kind of in that mode, you know. Eventually, they'll fall off a little bit, um, you know. So it's interesting to see how you know how it'll unfold. But I do believe that the game is healthy because it's so deep and there are great stories and there's great golf. And listen, look at the last few, few tournaments you watched the PGA tour and Jay Monahan has got to be, I mean, he's got to be 
falling asleep with a smile on his face the last month or so. You know, Phoenix was was a was a total show, right? I mean, that was a great show out there, and that yeah. always is anyway. But I mean, Genesis was awesome. You know, now you got you know you got Arnold Palmer coming up next week, which is one of those elevated events. They'll have a big field. Players Championship is essentially kind of like a major. So the PJ Tour has got a lot of momentum going right now. I've actually been watching the CW this afternoon in spurts, watching live because I'm interested. And the field is really good over there, right, and down in Mexico. But the consequence is just kind of eh, right? What's the consequence? You know, just winning a few more million dollars. So I mean, you know, that's the that's the battle that Liv is fighting right now. Even though there's quality golf taking place over there, and I'm sure there'll be some compelling, you know, finishes at the tournaments. But right now, the PGA Tour has got to be feeling pretty good about itself. Mark Canizero, our guest from the New York Post, he also covers the New York Jets, who are in the market for a veteran quarterback, and they hope it's Aaron Rodgers. It could be Derek Carr, but Mark. What is the timetable for this? When do the Jets need to know something? Because they can't lose out on Carr if Rodgers doesn't want to play for them. Yeah, it's a very, very tricky game of chicken. On the, on the, on the surface, it, it appears that way. I, I wrote a column the other day about the situation. Here's the thing about Rodgers. You know, first of all, who dictates, Rodgers, Rodgers dictates all of this because he, he's the one that has to come out and let the Packers know that A, if he keep, wants to keep playing again, B, if he wants to stay with them, or C, if he wants to play elsewhere, and then D, where he wants to play, because he's going to dictate it all. Now, what the timetable is, I don't know. I think respectfully, he should, you know, he needs to kind of get it done pretty soon. He just came out of his, you know, his his black, uh, whatever you call it, the uh, the dark <laughs> darkness uh, retreat, dark, re- dark darkness retreat, <laughs> which apparently only lasted a couple of days instead of four. I'm not sure I could have lasted a half hour myself, but um, so. He's the one that dictates it all. But here's the thing about that. I have to think that the Jets at least have some idea what he wants. Because, you know, first of all, Robert's and what the Packers want. Because Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, is best friends with Matt LaFleur, who's the Packers head coach. So you can't tell me that Robert does not know what the Packers' intentions are with Rodgers if Rodgers wants to play. So that's take that and put that in one box. Now let's take this box and look at – Nate, Nate Hackett, who they just hired as, the, as the, their offensive coordinator of the Jets, who is very close with Rodgers from his days as their offensive coordinator in Green Bay in 2019-2021. Rodgers was MVP in two out of those three years. So you can't tell me that Nate Hackett has not had some sort of clandestine contact with Rodgers to have some semblance of an idea what he wants to do. So I think the longer the Jets wait, the more it tells you that they, they, they kind of know what Rodgers' intentions are going to be. That's just a total read on my part. That's not speaking mm-hmm. to sources or anything like that. Um, at the meantime, you know, um, Carr is, is, is you know, he's visited New Orleans. He's visited the Jets. You know, it's my understanding that there's a, a, maybe a couple more teams that are visit or there that are interested as well. And I'm sure he's going to want to lock himself up someplace and get his thirty-five million dollars a year. So, you know, maybe the Jets are risking it by waiting, or maybe they already know what's going to happen. You know, maybe they already have another enough, enough inside intel. Uh, to know that Rodgers, you know, wants to play with them. But, you know, until Rodgers comes out publicly and says what's up, you know, it's all conjecture on our parts. I'm rooting for it for the story. To see Aaron Rodgers with the Jets and and that roster would be terrific in a two-year window. Mark, covering the Jets, you've covered a lot of failure uh, over the years and you've seen a lot of it. What was it like covering uh, Zach Wilson as things devolved in year two for him this past season? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, everybody expected him to make uh, steps from the year from the first year. He really got a pass the first year, in my opinion. I mean, nobody really ripped him, ripped into him. He had some, you know, a couple of health issues. Um, he really at times looked like he re- either regressed or just went right back to square one, which was that was really the most disappointing element to it. And, and at the end of the day, that's really why he ended up getting benched. Um, and, uh, you know, from Mike White, who's now become this folk hero, he's won basically like, you know, a game or two. And he's, you know, I mean, I hear sports radio here in New York and people are like, you know, we don't want Derek Carr. We want Mike White. Listen, I love Mike White. He's a great story, but Derek Carr is a, you know, pretty accomplished quarterback, uh, statistically at least in the, in the, in the league. So, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I've been, I've tried to give Zach benefit of the doubt as best I can. He made a horrible mistake for what he said after the New England game when he basically, when he was asked about, you know, letting the defense down. And he basically said, no, you know, even though he played maybe the worst game a quarterback possibly could play in the second half. Um, And he came back very quickly after that. And I thought sincerely apologized. I thought I felt it was sincere um, because he certainly rubbed, you know, bent some noses out of shape in that locker room. And I did speak to a lot of players after that, and they fe- they seemed to believe defensive players in particular. They seemed to think that his apology was was heartfelt. You know, it was just a young kid that was in the moment. You know, I mean, we have to remember these guys are twenty two years old. I don't know what you guys are doing twenty two, but I was. I mean, I'm sixty ish, and I'm still a knucklehead now. I mean, I was really <laughs> twenty two. So, you know, it's hard to because he's in the public eye. Everybody expects him to act act a certain way, but these guys are so young. And he's coming from BYU where there's about two people covering the team and everybody, you know, basically, kick, you know, kisses, kisses your butt because it's BYU and nobody says anything bad about you. So, you know, it's a big adjustment for him. And, and, and you know, he didn't handle some things so well, but I thought he, he rebounded a little bit. But he needs, you know, the bottom line is he needs to rebound on the field. And the Jets just can't afford to trust him back on the field again until he, he sits behind a guy like Aaron for, for a year or two or whatever. Um, I mean, they still insist they feel like it's in there. And that they can develop it, but they're now taking a tack that they probably should have taken in the first place, which is have him sit and, and behind a you know behind behind a veteran. And Rodgers would probably be the best case scenario, not just because he would help the Jets win games more quickly right away, but I think he's kind of taken a liking to to, to Zach a little bit from from the, some of the things he said. And it's, and he is Zach's idol. Uh, he's the guy that Zach modeled himself out or, after. I don't really know how much of a mentor Aaron is. I think Aaron's really more about for him, you know, himself and, and, and winning in the moment. But I, I don't. I, it certainly can't hurt Zach Wilson to sit back and watch Aaron Rodgers play for a year or two. Mark, I'm surprised that the Jets aren't getting rid of him. Honestly, based on how it's you going. know, it's well, listen, guys, you know how that works, right? I mean, this guy was picked third overall a year, you know, year and a half ago. You know, almost we're going on two years ago. That is a massive admission of of a, of a pretty significant mistake on the part of 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 management. You know, Joe Douglas, the, the the general manager, and you know, and the coaching staff too. You know, Robert Sala. And so I think that they, you know, they want to try to give it a go. And uh, you know, I think at the very least, if say if Rodgers comes in, you know, Zach Wilson is at least at the very least is a competent backup. You know, uh, I mean, there aren't that many good backups in the league these days. So not many good starters uh, either. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's well. That's a very good point. I mean, there's about 12 good starters in the league, really. So, um, but yeah, I, they don't want to admit the. They don't, and I do think they see the skill. They see that you know the guy's got a rocket for an arm, you know. And I think if they, if they, I really believe the Jets feel if he can mature a little bit and figure it out, that that maybe it'll work. But you know, I, I'm I'm calling me skeptical at the moment after what I've seen in the last two years. But yeah. again, 
he's only what 21 starts into his career whatever the number is 22 i don't even know what the number is but you know we we pull the plug on these players way too quickly you know and you see you do see listen i covered geno smith you know when he was a jet he was a knucklehead right he was immature he was he was he was not well liked he's got he himself punched of, <laughs> yeah he got himself popped uh and uh you know Look at the year he had in Seattle. All that's ten, you know, ten years later, whatever it is, you know, and he's been toiling as a basically a backup. So, you know, it can happen if a guy's got enough skill and he can, and he grows up. And you know, Zach has the skill; he just has to grow up. Mark, final sixty seconds here. What what does Daniel Jones get from the Giants? What type of money? What type of contract? Because we've seen a variation of numbers thrown out there. Yeah, I mean, there's been some leak, some word out there, and it hasn't come from Daniel directly that he wanted like upwards of 45 million a year, which is just unrealistic. I mean, listen, I am a huge Daniel Jones fan. Uh, you know, I, I I think he's a, he's a good he's a really good football player and a very good quarterback, if that makes any sense. Yeah, he threw 15 pa- he threw 15 touchdown passes last year. You can't pay somebody $45 million a year who threw 15 touchdown passes. Now, I get it. His receiving core was very, very weak. I mean, they had they didn't have the strongest receiving core to start, and then there was a bunch of injuries that were left him compromised and thrown to essentially practice squad guys who turned out to be fairly productive at the end of the year. But um, he's a good football player. I mean, he also rushed for 700-something yards and, and rushed for seven touchdowns, and he's smart, and he works his ass off. And so there's there's just too many positives – the bottom line is, you know, and I, I think that there's this is all posturing right now. You know, at, you know, we're in the beginning of free agency period. Daniel Jones is going to end up signing with the Giants, most likely for somewhere around thirty-five million dollars a year. You know, and that, that's what I see. I, I don't see it touching forty. You know, um, you know, and if they can't come to something, then they're, they're probably going to have to, you know, franchise tag him, which is not a good scenario for the Giants, nor is it a good scenario for Daniel Jones, because that potentially compromises the Giants' ability to keep Saquon hmm. Barkley, who's their, you know, who's, who's DJ's best weapon. Uh, so, you know, to have that $32.4 million franchise tag just locked into the, into the right, right away into the, into the salary cap is going to significantly deter the Giants from building around Daniel, you know, with more receiving core and, 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 uh, and, and hopefully keeping, uh, Saquon. So at the end of the day, I think it'll work out. I, I, have a, I just have a gut feeling he's going to end up signing something somewhere in the three, in the 30 something million range. And, uh, you know, and, and then move on from there. Mark Canizero has been our guest. Great visit with him from the New York post covering the jets, golf and more. Mark, thank you. We really appreciate great. the visit, thank man. You. Hopefully we can catch up soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Good talking to you guys. Yeah. Have a great weekend. There's uh, Mark Canizero. Chad, uh, a fight broke out on the pitch, on the pitch between a goalkeeper and a fan. And we have we we love reaction. fights in general, but especially when it's a player and a fan. Craziness broke ensued. We've, we've got a national kick three sixty. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Outkick 360 rolls on. Chad, uh, a fan ran onto the pitch. Sevilla. Great pronunciation. Sevilla. And punched, man of the, punched the opposing goalkeeper in the face. Um, <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. This is why I endorse when when a when a streaker full on violence protest or whatever in the middle of an NFL game. If Bobby Wagner wants to just flat out drill and just uh, tackle dummy someone, I'm all for it because you have no idea what they're going to do. It could be just a uh, you know they've got a little streamer going of smoke some pink or whatever smoke that was the case the rams game but can you imagine like you're a fan of your team one of your fans runs onto the field and punches another player for the opposing team and what would ensue from there and he's in like he's in a black hoodie so for people that you know criticize someone that tackles a streaker if they're a pro athlete or whatever this is why they do it. You don't want it to get to this point. You don't want someone to come up and strike you in this the head is, like this goalie. Right. Right? Yeah. So This is justice for the stupid is what this is. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked the guy was not really, really injured. After and by the way, the, the Serbian who's the goal, goalkeeper here. Oh, uh, you don't want to mess with the Serbian He's actually either. the backup. He was inserted in the lineup because the, the starter was ill. And then he, then he has a fan rush him and... Punch him in the punch Everyone him in the knows. Head. Everyone knows, son. You don't mess with Serbians. So I would not yeah. go after the Serbian on the field. I don't at mess any with point. professional athletes. No. Like, it, like here's you know what a good rule is for me. I don't mess with anyone in general unless provoked. But even if provoked, I'm not responding to provocation unless I know I could beat that person up. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm very confident I could beat you up and you provoke me. I may say something back. If it's a 50-50 proposition, but, I'm less likely to respond. If I know I'm getting whipped, I'm not responding at all. I'm walking along. There is a nice balance Going there. about my day. You may know you're going to be it. whipped, but you may believe that they're, they're not, not going fight. to do anything. Yeah. So you can still talk some if trash. I, if like I know me on I'm going to flight get, to Vegas. Yeah, that was a good example. That could have been a tough fight for you. I but know. you also felt like he wasn't going to fight. No. So you went ahead and, and, and went through with it. He dared me to say something, so I said it again. He dared, you, and you, you followed up on the dare. I did. But you just got to be you got to be careful. You got to know the audience, right? I also know I had Chad beside me. Yeah, I was ready. I was sitting there like <laughs> getting my I was getting my brass knuckles out out of my bag that I just carry with me everywhere he, I go. He glanced over. He's like, oh, these, these guys want to go. fight. I was stretching. They're ready. I was doing some light calisthenics. Ready to get a good cardio workout in with this fight? I was ready to go. I had your back on. We'll be ready to go on Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here across the Outkick Network for Outkick 360.